Hey guys. Good morning. It's good to see you. If no one's told you already, welcome home. This thing we say around here at Mountain is just a, a recognition that this place is a family. Uh, like we might as well be sitting in my living room right now. Um, I don't think all of you could fit in my living room, but uh, you guys get the idea. Welcome home. Glad you're here. If you don't know who I am, my name is Gil. I'm one of the pastors at Mountain. Uh, I work with our young adults community. So a really, really awesome group of 18 to 25 year olds led by an amazing team of wise, humble, difference makers who for the last seven or eight months have devoted themselves to creating a place right here at Mountain where young adults can come and be known and seen and loved and find belonging, discover their purpose together. Uh, Just a group of people who wants to equip young people well to make life work, which is of course kind of the, the theme we've been tracking with over the last week. And we'll continue to do that throughout the summer as we work through the book of Proverbs. So if you've got a phone or a Bible or whatever, I want to encourage you to just pull that out. We're going to jump in and get started. Uh, by the way, if you're someone who just wants to let the wisdom of Proverbs kind of sink into your life, even, even a deeper, more further way, um, we, many of us are walking through this uh, reading plan. It's a 32-day reading plan through the book of Proverbs. Um, you can text PLAN, P-L-A-N, to 94062 read a proverb a day. It's like Proverbs was written for your month of July. So um, take advantage of that if that's you. Proverbs is a book that sits right in the middle of the Old Testament, and it's something we would call wisdom literature. Uh, The Bible is an ancient but relevant collection of letters and stories and wisdom literature, and it falls right in that more poetic wisdom literature thing. It's not like spiritual magic about how to get ahead in life. It's not a spell book or a fortune cookie. But I heard someone say recently, wisdom is like learning to aim our lives in the direction of the way God designed us. Or, or, Or maybe you put it this way, wisdom is like possessing insight about how life actually works and ordering our lives and aligning them accordingly. It's like living the life you and I actually have well. And it turns out it's like kind of hard to do that. Luke reminded us last week that there really are like two ways to live, right? You can walk in the way of wisdom uh, or you can do your own thing. You can move with the grain of the universe or bump up against it. You can go your own way like Fleetwood Mac Or you can let the whim and desire move you or let the algorithm decide what you do with your time. Or we could be a people who draw from something deeper and more resilient and real, something ancient and true. And that's what we want to be about this summer. And so for us, uh, wisdom this summer is us as a community just taking the posture of humility before a wise teacher. As we, as we dig through Proverbs, and we're excited to do that this summer. So let me pray for us, and we can get started. God of wisdom, you look on each of us in this room, uh, the wise and the foolish and all of us in between, and you call us your beloved child. God, we thank you that we don't have to figure out how to make life work to take a step and begin to walk in what you might have for us, um, that we can figure out wisdom and how to make life work from a place of belonging in who you are. God, that is a gift straight from you, and we're grateful for it. In these next moments, would you just attune our hearts 
and our minds to receive what you might have for us, our wise teacher. We lift this time up to you in your name. Amen. About five or six weeks ago, the United States Surgeon General released uh, a health advisory. Uh, And I know every time we hear the word health advisory, we get like a little bit nervous after the last couple of years, but it's not what you're thinking of. Um, He announced uh, that we officially have an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. So you can go online and read this report. It's like 80 pages long. I'll give you kind of the, the bullet points. He said this, about one in two adults in America reported experiencing loneliness. And this is from 2019, so a little bit right before the pandemic, and you can imagine the effect that that had. So you can safely assume every other person you meet is experiencing loneliness in some way. The rate is almost twice as much for young adults as it is for people over 65. And he says this, loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It's associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. Listen to this. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that of smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. He goes on to say, social connection is a fundamental human need. It's as essential for survival as food, water, and shelter. Throughout history, our ability to rely on one another has been crucial to survival. And now, even in modern times, we human beings are biologically wired for social connection. We are designed for connection. And yet here we are with a social connection deficit. An epidemic, and we can all kind of feel it, can't we? Like whether or not it's true, it feels like the one of the loneliest times in human history. No matter how connected we are, it feels like we're living in a time when forming lasting relationships, real community, and meaningful connection is harder to do. You guys remember Carly Rae Jepsen, the song "Call Me Maybe"? Hey, I just met you. This is crazy. Here's my number. Call me maybe. Okay, I was in sixth grade when that came out, and it was a jam. All right. It was a song about connection, meeting someone for the first time. It was an adorable song. Uh, That was, what, 15 years ago? Carly Rae Jepsen has released an album this year in 2023. Do you know what it's called? The Loneliest Time. The Loneliest Time. Carly Rae, what happened? She's singing songs about a totally different type of thing. Um, I'm not an expert on this stuff. I don't know how we got here. Uh, but it does seem like we've traded in our biological design for connection and influence and relationships for, I don't know, for me it's like the temptation to do it all on my own or not receive help from anyone else. It's like we've traded in our wiring for deep connection with individualism or workaholism or burnout or shallow, fragile relationships. And I want to tell you, it's like poisoning the humanity in us, isn't it? Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it is a way that leads to death. Do you get the sense that we're standing in, in the ruins of a way of forming relationships that has led to destruction. 
Do you feel like there's a way that we've approached some of our relationships that might not be strong enough, that we've been tricked, that for a while now you and I have been convinced to try and make life work on our own and that we're paying the price for it, maybe bumping up against the way we've been designed. It's why the book of Proverbs is littered with passages about uh, the necessity and the possibility and the way of connection and relationship. Proverbs 18 says, 18.1 says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. It's like we're bumping up into the way that we've been designed. If you think back to the very beginning of the Bible story, um, if you're familiar with it, um, God, who we believe is, is three persons in one, uh, is made up of a series of relationships, almost. You have the Father, and the Father is not the Father without the Son. And the Son is not just the Son, He's the Son of the Father. And the Spirit is the Spirit of the Son and of the Father. It's a, it's a reminder that the God that we worship is, is from top to bottom a relational God. And he's not relational in the sense that he's just like good with people or something like that. He's like the stuff that God is made up of is relationships and persons. And in the beginning of the Bible, he says, let us make humans in our image. So to be a person, to be made in the image of God is to be wired for this kind of relationship. It's like we're all little pictures of a relational God, aren't we? In fact, in the very first page of the Bible, if you remember, God creates, he separates the heaven and the earth, and he calls it good, and he calls, he creates uh, animals and plants, and he calls it good, and he creates the man, Adam. He calls all of his creation good. Do you remember this? Do you remember the first thing that God says is not good? Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for the man to be alone. In other words, that, that's not going to work. That kind of life is not going to work. I'll, I'll make him a helper, a companion, and he creates the woman Eve. It goes without saying, we will not be able to make life work on our own. And that's bad news for people like me who love to isolate and do our own thing. Um, some of you introverts get it. I could put on a master class in isolation, Okay. I'm good at it, and I live in a culture that allows me to do it. I can, I can hang on my phone and do my own thing, but it's destructive to me. I can feel it. And we don't think about ourselves as lonely or isolated, do we? I've got a friend, Austin Gone, who puts it this way. He kind of like gives you a check for it. He says, who do you have inside jokes with? Do you have someone in your life that you have an inside joke with? Or who do you, who do you turn to when your mental health is at its lowest or you've just received news about a devastating health diagnosis. Who are your people? Who are your people? It turns out it's like one of the most important questions we could ever ask. And it's one that the wisdom of Proverbs wants to bring right, right to the center of our attention. And it wants to suggest that we're not just designed for connection. We're like the product of the people around us. Check it out. Proverbs thirteen twenty says this. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with and become. Who you walk with will determine who you become, right? You and I know this instinctively. Here's a modern proverb for you that I've heard a couple times. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's right. 
However you want to say it. I heard someone say it recently. It's like, who you walk with is going to determine where you go. I think that holds true. And, and uh, however you want to say it, the people around us literally make us who we are, don't they? And we don't think of our lives as shared in this way, do we? And what's funny is, um, you know, neuroscience and the study of the brain has like caught up to God's wisdom in this way uh, in recent years. Uh, I read a study about um, infant development. So they were looking at babies and their brains and how we form our identities, like who we are. Uh, and uh, they found that when a baby's in the womb, uh, up to the first couple of months of life and into the first couple of years and beyond that, it's almost like we receive our identities from our primary caregivers, like usually a mother or a father. It's like we're downloading who we are by participating in the life of other people, which is crazy to think about. It's insane. We don't think about that life being that connected with one another, like we're wired to influence and be influenced uh, by others. We're not this like blank slate that we go and build for ourselves. So here's the thing. You and I, no matter what we might say, are not like self-made and at our most free when we're apart from other people. Uh, we live in a world that says the opposite, though. That the less attachments I have to other people, the more freer and capable I'll become. No, the wisdom of God says, uh, in fact, I've hardwired you for influence and to be influenced by others. In fact, the closer you become to healthy, wise people, the freer you become, the more human you become, the more you you become. You can almost hear the writer of Proverbs asking us, which way will you choose? Will you keep riding out the way of self-sufficiency or individualism? Or will we get to work on cultivating the kind of meaningful connection and relationship that we need? And so it goes without saying, we need to find the right people, the right influencers in our life, for our livelihoods, for our health. If the stats are correct on, on this stuff, it's like not to be dramatic, but it's like a matter of life and death, isn't it? It's a health thing. It's a spiritual thing. We need something stronger. We need to walk alongside one another, get around the right influencers, the right people to make life work. Who are you walking with? Do you have wise relationships that sustain you? All right, you with me? Some of you are like, I get it, okay? Relationships matter. We get it. Uh, here's the thing. I think we, we know this instinctively, that we know we need good influencers, good relationships. We don't know where to look or how to start. There's a way that seems right to us that is the way of easy, fragile connection, but the cultivating of something deeper is, is a lot harder. So I think you and I actually need help with this sort of thing. I really do. And the moments we have left together, I think we just want to have the opportunity to learn how to begin to forge the kinds of relationships that we need. And so I, I've just, I've heard it this way. Wise relationships are marked by three things. The first one is this. Wise relationships are marked by presence. Everybody say presence. presence. Not presence, like the stuff you open up at Christmas, but presence as a very first step to forge relationships, we need to be present with one another. It's like showing up where people are, giving our presence. Uh, it requires us to be around strangers, which is like often the hardest part, right? We're all doing it right now, and it's like we're figuring out. We've done the first step. It's a good, it's a good sign. Being around other people is just hard. We don't really want to do this. 
Um, but you know, every person that you know was once a stranger. It's true. Uh, the internet has done a number on us here, right? Why would I show up and put my body where other people are um, when I've got like an eternity of content to consume on the internet and Netflix and that sort of thing? How about this? Uh, how many of you have been invited to maybe like a social gathering or a party or a church thing recently? I do this all the time where I'll get invited somewhere and then I, my first question is this. Yeah, but like who's going? Like who's... Who's going to be there, right? Because if it's not the people that I like or I think are cool or that sort of thing, I'm like, I'm out. I let my personal preference kind of get in the way. And I'll be honest with you, I see this often too, where it's like people are maybe on the fence about jumping in and joining community or going to a certain thing. And they're like, what if they're not my kind of people? Or they're like, what if they're they're awkward or weird? And I want to say, in love, you might be awkward too. Okay, in fact, I know you are because I am too. We're human beings. We're all like some part of us is awkward when we, when we step into this thing. And we've got to be able to work through that as like a first step. There is a way that pretends to be wise and it will try and convince us that we need to curate our lives like we're in a supermarket of the kinds of people that we like and that are as cool as us, who look like us and talk like us and are as cool as us. It's a way that views preference as king. And I want to tell you, we need your presence more than we need preference. How much have you allowed your personal preference to get in the way of finding a real connection? How much have you let your list of expectations block you from forming the kinds of deep friendships that you and I need to thrive? I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community, it's like a hindrance to genuine community. And it must be banished if genuine community is going to survive. The one who loves their dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. I love this. It's like straight to the point, right? Get your idealism out of here, your expectations. You see what's happening? We let our expectations for community stifle and destroy our actual experience with one another. It happens all the time. What are your expectations for your friendships? Do you have unspoken expectations for your friends or your family or others? I want to recognize too, like, Social anxiety is a real thing that a lot of us deal with. That's just, it's a barrier for us to go and find community as a first step. And not to mention that making friends is super hard, especially as an adult. Making friends is just hard. You know, people have said uh, Jesus' greatest miracle, you know what it was? It said he had 12 close friends in his 30s, okay? That's a big deal. If you've got 12 close friends in your mid-30s, you're killing it in 2023, okay? Brings me to my next point, which is this. We need wise friendships that are marked by patience. Patience. In other words, we need to play the long game in our relationships. And this is really hard because everything around us, it's quick and easy and downloadable. um, And that's not how relationships work. You can't be consumed. They need to be cultivated like fruit. You and I will not swipe our way into meaningful, lasting connection. 
And this is where like we get off the train most of the time. Okay, the second in a relationship, it gets a little bit deeper and we begin to bump up against any sort of maybe confrontation or conflict or have to resolve some sort of resistance or be vulnerable. We're like, we're out, right? But it turns out, like according to Proverbs, uh, real friendships require those things. Proverbs 27, 9 says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Proverbs talks about good friendships as if they're like iron sharpening iron, forging one another to become better and stronger. Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you have someone who sharpens you? who can speak difficult truth to you, who can be honest with you. You see, Proverbs actually warns us of the kinds of people who really only say nice things to us and tell us what we want to hear. Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Like, they'll say nice things to you, but they don't really care about you enough to be honest and vulnerable with you. Are the people in your life just like friendly people, or are they real friends? I think wisdom is is learning to know the difference, maybe. And this is hard. The, The deeper you get into this stuff, like, the more at risk we are for relational pain, right? How many of you have, like, been hurt by a friend? Okay, more of you than that. Okay, don't lie. How many of you have hurt a friend? Okay, less of you raised your hand for that, you know, being honest. Okay, uh, it's, it's a reality. The more at risk we are to get hurt as we move through this stuff, we've got to be able to work through the messiness and the conflict. A patient, time-honored process of forging relationships, it produces something like resilient and strong. It's a beautiful thing. A couple of weeks ago, I celebrated uh, the wedding of my old college roommate. His name is Ben. We call him Doc. That was his nickname. And uh, we love Ben. It was this moment for us where we got to celebrate him, be together, dance, tell dumb jokes, um, and be together and have fun. But it was also a moment that we got like a little bit emotional, just thinking about the last eight to nine years that we have been friends and just how far God had brought us as some of us were starting families and getting married and getting on with, with work life. It was just like this moment of like pure gratitude for what God had forged in our friendships over nine years. And guess what? For us, like we're already gearing up for the next 10 years. And the next 10 years after that, like success for for those guys looks like a bunch of 80, 90-year-olds who are still walking in wisdom and forging one another to be better. Uh, It's a really, really beautiful thing. Uh, Friendships like that are pure gold. Do you have something like that? There's something different about a godly friendship. C.S. Lewis says this, Friendship is like the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it's like the chief happiness of life. If I had to give a piece of advice to a young man about a place to live, I think I should say this, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. Man, what would it look like for young people 
entering the workforce to make career decisions based off of where our friends are, where our relationships are. Can you imagine doing that? How much do you value your friendships? See, the way Jesus defines friendship is it's not like this secondary add-on or side dish to life. He actually says it this way in John chapter 15. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love. Do you hear that? In other words, like, I want to be careful here, but it seems like Jesus is saying, like, there's actually no higher form of love than real, spiritual, self-sacrificial friendship. That there might be something even deeper than, than a love between a husband and a wife or a mother and a son and, and, and even like married folks. Like Jesus might be putting some good pressure on us here. Like marriage is this beautiful, sacred, holy thing. But if me and my wife get wrapped up in just our little family unit and build our own little kingdom, we might be missing out on something that God is doing. So it goes without saying for, for married folks, like we need other friends other married couples to hold us accountable and we need to be around single people because we have something to offer them and they have something to offer us. And on the flip side, single people, do not ever believe the lie that in order to have a full, abundant, relational, spiritual life that you need to be dating or married to someone. Jesus lived a full, abundant spiritual, relational life, never went on a date, never started a family. We need you, and we need you in our family. And when we say family, we mean something different, don't we? And so my last thing is, is this. It just says we, we need a wise family that's marked by permanence, presence, patience, permanence. You know, like a friendly person, they're just in it for you. Like they might like you and you guys might enjoy spending time together. A friend is like in it for a purpose. Like you guys are going somewhere together and you're making one another better. It's a beautiful thing. Family is in it for good. It's permanent. There's a sense that this thing is like forever. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Again, in chapter 18, it says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's something about the church, like even in this room right now, that calls us to this kind of like sibling type love, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul is this guy who writes most of the New Testament. And the number one word that Paul uses to describe church and what's happening, uh, it's not the word communion or fellowship or believers, but the word that he uses six times more than that, 141 times he uses this word. It's the word Adelphoi. Adelphoi is where we get the, the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love, and it means brothers, brothers and sisters, plural, siblings. That's the word he uses. Romans chapter 8, he says, For God knew his people in advance, And then he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn, Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
Another translation says, it's like Jesus is the firstborn in a large family that he's creating. And it means that we mean something different than biological family when we get in this room, right? It's why we say welcome home here every single week. It's not like a cheesy slogan that we use for marketing like, like Olive Garden where they're like, you know, when you're here, you're family. And you're like, thanks, Olive Garden. Just here for the breadsticks. No, no, we mean something different. When we say we're, we're, not, we're not like a family, we are a family in this place, aren't we? That when we share in that communion meal that we just shared in moments ago, like something happens. Like you and me and you and you, like we've been drawn up into something that's so, so much bigger than ourselves, haven't we? That's a big deal. That's a pretty cool reality to live in as a community. Do you have a sense that the church is that kind of family for you? Like, is it just like a place you attend or is it, is it that kind of family? Or even like, do you have people? Do you just have people that are in it for good permanently with you? One of the things that you will learn as you press deeper into this community is that we're not like a family. We are a family and there is nothing about you that is off limits that will, that will keep you from saying yes to being a part of this family. Because man-made boundaries can't separate that kind of like kinship. It's a stronger bond. I've seen it extend into classrooms and boardrooms and college campuses and police stations and prison cells because it's a deeper kind of bond and fa- than, than, than nationality or race or personal preference. It's like a forever type family. It's been here long before us and it'll be here long after those things fade away. You belong here in our family and you have a seat at the table. That's a cool thing. Before we wrap up, there's a, there's a story that we often forget about, about Jesus and the family that he is creating. Uh, if you've read any of the gospel stories, you might know that Jesus had a high calling for his disciples. He would meet them and then he would say, hey, you know that job that you have? I want you to leave, I want you to leave that behind and follow me. Or, you know your family, like your brother and your sister and your mother and father? I want you to leave your family and follow me because I'm going somewhere and I want to take you with me. I've got something for you. He has a really high calling for his disciples. And there's a moment here in, in Mark chapter 10 where Peter is one of his disciples. He comes to Jesus um, and he says basically, hey, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you, okay? We've got nothing left. Like this better be good. What do you, like, what do you got for us sort of thing? In Mark chapter 10, it says this. Peter began to say to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have left? Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left their house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold in this age, houses and brothers and mothers and sisters and fields and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, if you leave your family Or if you're far from your family or you're alone or you're experiencing isolation, whatever you're lacking, I'm going to give it back to you a hundred times over in the life of the family that I'm creating for you. That's good news, a hundredfold. And that one day in the kingdom of God, you will be lacking nothing. Your isolation has an expiration date when God makes all things new. That is good news. News, there is something to be found in the family that Jesus creates that will free you and I from self-obsession, isolation, burnout, and into a family of presence.
patience and acceptance and love. And it's why for people who walk in the wisdom of God and Jesus followers and, and, and this thing, like we don't have to look at an epidemic of loneliness and think, well, gee, you know, I hope, hope the Surgeon General does something about that epidemic of loneliness. No, it's like in our DNA to take lonely people and set them into spiritual families. It's what we do. It's in our DNA. So can we promise again to be a people that will like go to war against the epidemic of loneliness? Because we're called and we're able and we're equipped to do it. It's who we are. I want to tell you, uh, if I can brag about the community that I've gotten to see this year, uh, I just want to say God, God is building a family of young adults at Mountain and there are people who live far away from their parents or live with their parents. And they're nurses and electricians and college students and teachers and plumbers and single people and engaged couples and married couples. People who look differently from one another and think differently from one another. But I watch them every week as they share space and they share a meal, and they share a vision for their life that is much bigger than themselves. And I want to tell you, like, wherever you have that, with young people or old people, you have the church. Amen. There is a way that is masquerading as wisdom. And it looks like convenience and preference and shallow commitments don't settle. Which way will you go? So I don't know how all of this stuff lands with you, but I do know this. None of us are above this sort of thing, myself included. Maybe for you, it's just like you need to get back in the game. Like for many of us, the pandemic was this thing where it was just like for a couple years, we got used to the isolation, didn't we? And maybe for you, like, you just, you've been on the sidelines and, and, and you feel like God's just telling you, you need, to just, you need to jump back in the game. You need to move from observation to participation in community. Maybe you've got friendships that you've neglected since then, people you've overlooked. Maybe you just need to find your people. Uh, maybe you want to join a group. One of the things I did last year when I moved here from North Carolina, I was brand new and I just jumped into one of our summer study groups, which is coming up in a couple weeks. And that's how Mountain became family for me once again. I got to meet people and connect with them and then hang out with them outside of church, those sorts of things. It's a beautiful thing. We have groups for kids and students and young adults and all ages, amazing place to connect. Uh, maybe wisdom for you is like taking inventory of your relationships. And really asking the question, like, am I walking with the wise, as Proverbs says, or am I in a companion of fools? Not that you need to cut people out of your life, but maybe the work of wisdom is knowing who's like a friendly person, who's like a real friend, and who's family. I think wisdom is kind of like knowing the difference, isn't it? Figuring out how, how, what distance do I need to keep people. It's okay and healthy to have different proximities of relationships. Jesus himself, he brought two friends to the garden. Those were his homies. And then he had the 12 disciples, and then he had 500 that followed him. It's, it's healthy and good to do that sort of thing, to know who really holds the keys to your life. 
who could speak truth to you. Maybe you've got an unreliable friend. And Proverbs just says, like, you need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Forming lasting relationships is hard work. And many of us will never commit to doing that work. But Proverbs invites us. Walk with the wise and become wise. Grateful for you, Mountain, and the many of you that I walk with each week. May we become wise and make life work together. Let's pray. God of wisdom, you have created in this very room uh, a space where we can connect with you, Father. You have removed every single boundary that exists for us to connect with you. God, I'm so grateful for this mountain family that you've created um, that exists not just for itself, but for me and for people who are outside of this building right now. God, it's a place where, God, that you've designed and you've hardwired for people to form real friendships and connections. God, we thank you for your church, that it's bigger and stronger than anything that we might feel is unstable in this moment. God, I'm reminded that in the person of Jesus, you, you say in your word that we're not just your servants, but you call us your friends. Oh, what good news it is to have a Savior who is a friend. Jesus, you are the one, the embodiment of what it means to stick closer than a brother. We're so grateful for that. God, I want to pray just in this room right now um, that if there is anyone who has been just touched by the loneliness thing, the isolation thing that we're all feeling, God, that you would begin to stir in their heart just a, just a spirit of comfort and peace, Jesus. We're reminded that you stick closer than us, to us than anything in the world. What a powerful reminder. Would you take this moment as we celebrate the family and the kingdom of God to us to, for us to just look at each other and as we look in one another's faces to see, to see you, Jesus, in between us. We would be a people who are hardwired for reflecting the way that you've created us. God, we're so grateful for you and the kingdom that you're building here and all over the world, and we're just in a place of gratitude for it. We give you our worship in this moment. Amen.